to see you guys. Uh, if you need to add some hand motions, some jive to your song, some dance, uh, my daughter's got you covered. My oldest one, she just uh, taught us a few things over here, uh, stage left. Uh, it's fun. Uh, my name is Jamie. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors of our church, uh, the guy who gets to preach most Sundays, and, and that is surely the case this morning. Incredibly excited to dive into this morning's passage. Very famous couple of stories of Jesus healing a leper and a paralytic. We'll get there in just a second. Many of us have read these stories before, but as I've said in previous weeks, when you slow the car down to second gear and you, you take a slow Sunday drive through a book of the Bible like this, it just has a way of coming alive in a very unique sort of way. And so uh, I wanna invite you to open up your Bible now to Luke chapter five. We'll be in verses 12 through 26 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you should be able to track with what's on the screen behind me, various quotes and the verses attached to this morning's passage and any verses outside of Luke's gospel account that we're gonna look at this morning. So let me, let me go ahead and pray for us and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we come together in moments like these only on the basis of the shed blood of your son without which there would be no church. We come to you to worship you, to bring you glory and honor. You so richly deserve it, Lord. You are the creator, we are the created. You are the redeemer, we are the redeemed. What a blessing it is to be in places like these, the assembly of the saints. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do what only you can do, which is to move in power as we open up the scriptures this morning. Would you do that great work that you began in so many of us in this very room so long ago, perhaps not so long ago, but certainly in the past, Lord, would you continue to move and work in our hearts and lives that there be any in this room who are not followers of Jesus? I pray that they would be compelled by these very stories to turn to him in faith and repentance, trusting in him as savior and king. God, would you move? Would you move greatly this morning? We're such a needy people. We're desperate for you. Move in power. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So as I mentioned just a moment ago, uh, this morning's passage brings us face to face with two healings, story of a leper and a paralytic, stories that some scholars divide into separate commentary chapters while others bring the two together. And while we could certainly devote a separate Sunday to each of these episodes, there's something in bringing the two together that emphasizes the healing work of Jesus in an incredibly unique way and also helps us to understand better what it means to evangelistically cast the net of the gospel. Going back to last week, Remember, Simon Peter and his friends have recently left everything to follow Jesus, having come face to face with the splendor, the glory, and the holiness of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that here's where the, the real discipleship in Luke's gospel account begins. It's Peter and company sit at the feet of the rabbi Jesus and learn what it means to truly follow him and participate in his kingdom work. If you pick up the story in verse 12 of chapter five, Luke tells us, now, while he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Right, we've, we've talked about the story of the, the leper on a number of occasions throughout the brief history of this church as it's one of the most visible depictions of what it means to come to Jesus in a posture of spiritual poverty. 
If you, if you read through the Mosaic law, there's a pretty lengthy section involving instructions on how the Israelites were to address ritual impurity and maintaining covenant fellowship with, with the holy God. Part of that lengthy section having to do with laws regarding leprosy, the name given to a variety of skin diseases in the ancient Near East, so that Leviticus, Leviticus 13 begins with these words. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Not one of the prettier pictures in scripture, right? Not one that we quickly run to in our quiet time, so to speak. The, the priest acted as a sort of health inspector with, with the authority to pronounce men and women unclean, oftentimes for a skin disease not found on the entire body, but just an area of the body. But that's not the case with the leprous man in Luke chapter five, right? Luke tells us that the man is full of leprosy. He's the pariah of pariahs, the most unclean of the unclean of society. The Lord goes on to describe in that very same chapter how such a man was to act and how he was to be treated by the rest of society. And I want you to consider what it must have been like to be a leper as you hear these words. Leviticus 13 goes on to say, verses 45 and 46, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. Could you say unclean enough? You get the point? He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Could there, could there be a more humiliating and lonely life? And coming remotely close to others, a leper had to shout at the top of his lungs, unclean, unclean, so, so as to warn others of the danger of his close proximity. If a leper was upwind, he had to remain not at a distance of six feet, but 50 yards from other people. Makes our present day social distancing practices, practices seem incredibly minuscule in comparison and it also gives us an indication of the stench of leprosy. 50 yards, it's half a football field. In the words of the famous historian Josephus, lepers were treated, quote, as if they were in effect dead men. In fact, they, they weren't treated solely on the basis of their physical condition, but also their spiritual condition. There were stories in Israel's history, you can read about these in the Old Testament, of people having received leprosy as a judgment for their sin. People like Miriam in Numbers chapter 12 or Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26 or Gehazi in 2 Kings chapter five so that it was assumed by many that if you had leprosy, it was due to some personal sin on your part and you were treated as such by those who perceived themselves to be righteous. Coming back to this morning's passage, you can just hear the, the humiliating cries of this leprous man forced to loudly and embarrassingly declare himself unclean, creating disruption amidst the crowds of people who surely parted like the Red Sea so as not to come within arm's length of this guy. 
wondering what, what would possess such a person to violate the norms of society, to come inside the city gates with such a disease. Doesn't he know how society works? The leprous man in the irony of the divine showing us something of how to obtain true healing, namely a self-awareness and a self-abandonment that runs to the feet of Jesus Christ. Self-awareness, this man, he's fully self-aware of his condition, his need for cleansing. How could he not be, right? The cruelty of society only helping to fan that into flame. He knows, but he doesn't simply bring a self-awareness to the feet of Jesus, but also a self-abandonment like the blind beggar in Luke 18. We'll get there soon enough. Not really, it'll be a while, but he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Desperate for a hope outside of himself, just like this man in this morning's passage, evidenced in his very posture. Notice that Luke tells us that he falls on his face in humble submission and begs a demonstration of faith and crying out, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It's the perfect state to receive mercy and grace, right? And obviously we're seeing a man meet Jesus for the first time. There, there's something of what happens when we meet Jesus for the first time. Sadly, I don't understand it, but a lot of Christian evangelicalism is that when you become a Christian and then just abandoning that for the rest of your Christianity, getting further away from your desperate need for Jesus. It's nonsensical. He goes on to tell us in verse 13 that Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. In Mark's account of this healing, he tells us that Jesus was moved with pity. That word pity coming from the, the Greek word splonknizomai, which means the inward parts, the vital organs, the entrails. It's a literal gut-wrenching feeling. Something wells up in the deepest seat of Jesus's emotions when he sees this man and it leads him to do what many of us would never do as he reaches out and touches the physical expression of Leviticus 13. The pariah of pariahs, in effect, one of society's dead men. Going back to a couple weeks ago, Jesus surely could have healed this man without touching him like he had Peter's mother-in-law, right? We've seen it already in Luke's gospel account. And yet he stretches out his hand and touches the man, the natural instinct of a loving savior. Likely the first human contact that this man had experienced in a long time, having lived in loneliness and isolation outside the camp. Right, imagine that for all those years, 50 yards of distance because of the stench and Jesus moves in and puts his hands on the man. And his diseased body is transformed in an instant as cleanness, cleanness reaches out and touches the unclean. N.T. Wright in his commentary says, in theory, this action should have made Jesus both ceremonially unclean and liable to contract the actual disease. But as with so many of his healings, it worked the other way around. His cleanness, his healing power infected the man just as the love and grace of his touch must have gone through his whole personality like a hot drink on a cold day. The healing touch of Jesus who alone has the power to make people whole, the power to make people clean. His touch has the power to bring physical healing 
the fullness of which will be ours in the age to come, the power to bring reconciliation to broken relationships, no matter how deep the wounds run, the power to heal and restore souls, bringing cleansing from the leper stain of sin. That's Jesus. Philip Ryken in his commentary says, whatever healing we need, whatever sin is troubling our conscience, whatever sorrow is grieving our hearts, whatever relationship is making us anxious, Jesus is able to touch the hurting places in our lives and make us whole. Shalom. Do you know something of the healing touch of Jesus? And if you're a Christian, do you know something of the recent healing touch of Jesus? Jesus reaches out and touches the leprous man and it changes everything. Just like Peter in that boat. Luke goes on to say in verse 14, and he charged the man to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Right, Jesus doesn't wanna be mobbed. So he tells the man not to spread word of his healing. It's the exact opposite strategy of the megachurch. Not that there's anything wrong with megachurches. Jesus is trying to shrink the crowd. The man, according to Mark's gospel account, epically fails to do what Jesus asks is he just can't seem to not tell everyone around him about the good news of Jesus. And after shouting at the top of his lungs for years, imagine this, unclean, unclean. Now this man uses those same worn out lungs to shout from the rooftops, I've been washed, I've been made clean. So that Mark tells us that in his gospel account, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, He's now the rural church planter. Jesus charges the man to tell no one, commanding him to do two things instead in accordance with that very next chapter of Leviticus, chapter 14, for one, to show himself to the priest. As you can imagine, many within the community probably would have been skeptical of a leper re-entering society. Are we sure about that? Are we sure he's gotten his 14-day quarantine in? So that the community put a lot of trust in the priest's word of affirmation. Jesus sends the man to the priest. Having done, think about this, what no priest could ever do. As a priest had no power to make lepers clean, only the authority to pronounce them clean. Jesus heals the man, sends him to the priest in order that he might be restored to the community from which he had been outcast, perhaps even his own wife and children. Secondly, Jesus charges the man to make an offering for sin, which was commanded in situations like these, the blood of the sacrifice symbolizing atonement. So that you even have a foreshadowing of the shed blood of Jesus here in reconciling sinners to God and bringing them from outside the camp into the household of faith. Verse 15 says, but now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The word about Jesus continues to, to spread and more and more of the unclean of society come to him for healing so that he has to fight and claw for moments of solitude and prayer. Anybody know what that's like? New moms and dads do. Here you see that Jesus understands, all right, this is your sympathetic high priest. This is Hebrews uh, doctrine and theology here. Jesus understands what it's like to struggle to get in a quiet time, so to speak. 
He's able to sympathize with us in our pursuit of intimacy with God in the midst of the chaos of life. Sometimes you gotta fight for it, including the sinless son of God. Now, now we could stop there and we could call it a day, right? There's a lot there. There's so much that this story of the leper has to offer us. But again, I believe there's something in bringing this story and the one that follows it together that emphasizes the healing work of Jesus in a unique way and also helps us to better understand what it means to evangelistically cast the net of the gospel. The second story among the more well-known to have taken place in the life and ministry of Jesus as it finds its way into all three synoptic gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Verse 17, Luke tells us, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was on him to heal. We're five chapters in now, almost six. This is the first time we're introduced to the Pharisees in Luke's gospel account. The scribes and Pharisees, they were seen as models of virtue. The word Pharisee itself meaning separatist. They had established a, a code of morals and regulations that went far beyond the scriptures, more rigid than the law of Moses, shrinking the fence that God had already created to play in. Referred to by Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible as the extra super holy people so that most people believe they can never get there. Some of the more militant Pharisees going so far as to use violence and harsh forceful dominance to establish and maintain strict, intensified observance of the Jewish law, believing that that would establish the right conditions for God to make good on his promises. And along comes Jesus, speaking with an authority of his own, drawing large crowds and talking about the kingdom of God in a very different way than the scribes and Pharisees were talking about the kingdom of God, offering God's kingdom to all the wrong people, mind you. Tax collectors and prostitutes will get there soon enough. Lepers and paralytics. So that the Pharisees came out of the cracks and crevices of society from every village, Luke tells us, of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. We gotta see for ourselves what Jesus is up to, whether he's come to overthrow the law. Verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Right here, you have a paralytic, a man who needs healing, whose friends are trying their best to bring him into the presence of Jesus, but they're unable to get inside the house where Jesus is teaching and preaching because of the massive size of the crowd. And so they do what people of faith do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. They climb out the outside staircase leading to the roof, a roof made of clay covering wood beams, sometimes even tile, and they literally cut a hole in the roof of the house, causing a ruckus in all kinds of debris, and they lower the man with a sling made of bedding. All right, that's funny if you put yourself in the story. Hey, imagine yourself in this house. You're sitting there listening to the teaching of Jesus Christ and all of a sudden you feel clumps of dirt start to hit you in the head. And you look up and you see a group of men trying to burrow their way in like some scene out of a Mission Impossible movie. And then they look back down at Jesus to see what, what is he gonna do? 
What is he going to say? This is crazy. Verse 20. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. I'm sorry, what? Jesus looks up at, at a group of men peering through an open roof and he looks down at a man lying on a mat and in doing so, he stares into the eyes of faith and he declares the sins of the paralytic to be forgiven. That's not only an astonishing declaration, but it's actually a greater gift. It's the greatest gift, in fact. It's a public declaration that Jesus' kingdom work is not solely having to do with healings and exorcisms, but the deliverance of souls from the paralysis of sin. Not only showing us that our greatest need is forgiveness, but giving us this beautiful picture of the wonder of the incarnation. In the words of one commentator, God dug, so to speak, through the roof of the world and lowered his son down so Jesus could die for our sins. Unfortunately, not everyone sees Jesus that way. So that verse 21, Luke tells us, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Only the priests, and especially the high priest, had the power to pronounce forgiveness as sins were forgiven through the temple and its sacrificial system. More than that, only God himself could actually offer forgiveness, which leads the scribes and the Pharisees to accuse Jesus of blasphemy. Coming back to last week, they're, they're actually right in their mastering of the chapter of the systematic theology book on forgiveness in knowing that only God can forgive sins. And yet they're wrong in failing to recognize that they're in the very presence of the divine. Sharing a house with its newly established sunroof and all, with God clothed in flesh. Verse 22, this morning's passage closes with these words. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately the man rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized all of them and they glorified God themselves and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. You think? <laughs> they, the scribes and Pharisees, they know that, that anyone can claim to forgive sins. How do you prove that? It's in the realm of the invisible. Not everyone can claim to have the power of healing because that's in the visible realm. Show yourself authoritative and powerful. Jesus makes the point that to do either, to heal and forgive sins, one must possess the same divine authority. You're saying I can't forgive sins because only God can do that? Who, who do you think has the power to heal paralytics and lepers? And with that, Jesus displays his divine authority and commanding the paralytic to rise up. And in that moment, the man stands up and carries off the bed that had been carrying him for who knows how long. There we get another picture of leaving things behind, similar to the nets last week, presented with the question, what's been carrying me? And is Jesus calling me to stand up and walk in his power and authority, forgiven, healed, told that those in the house were filled with amazement, filled with awe, man 
who had been lowered through the roof walks out the front door. Different entrance and exit altogether. Not only healed, but forgiven because Jesus possesses the power and authority to do both. A claim that Jesus doesn't back down from, mind you, because he knows that there's no confusion for which to apologize if he truly is God. That when we look at Jesus Christ, we're staring into the face of God, the one who has the authority to forgive sin. That Jesus has the authority to forgive you, having come into the world to seek and save lost sinners. Something that we so quickly forget as we walk around under the weight of a condemnation that's not ours to bear because Christ has already borne it on the cross. He would go on to take his perfect record of righteousness to the cross, bearing our sins as our spotless substitute in his body on the tree, rising from the grave three days later as evidence of the Father's acceptance of his sacrifice on our behalf. That if you've never done so, I invite you to bring your sin to the feet of Jesus Christ like Peter in that boat out on the open sea to receive the forgiveness that comes in trusting in him. You see, both of these stories show us something of our desperate need for Jesus in different ways. The story of the paralytic showing us our need for forgiveness, the deliverance of our souls from the paralysis of sin, God's greatest gift, ours to receive by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, the one who has the authority to forgive sins. The story of the leper showing us our need for the healing touch of Jesus, who alone has the power to make us whole, to make us clean, the power to heal and restore our souls, bringing cleansing from the leprous stain of sin. But yes, our sin leaves us outside the camp, unclean and alone, Leviticus 13, our spiritual condition far worse than the physical one described there in scripture, but that's not where Jesus leaves us. As he himself suffered outside the gate, Hebrews 13, 12, in order to sanctify us through his own blood. That Jesus was led outside the city of Jerusalem to Golgotha where he bore the leprosy of our sin in his body on the tree that we might be made clean, church. And, and wonder of wonders, his blood has brought us not just inside the camp, but into the holy places. My word. And in addition, and your heart's gotta be gripped by all of that for any of this to make sense. In addition, both of these stories show us something of what it means to point people to Jesus, the Jesus in whom we've found healing and forgiveness. I mean, you, you gotta wonder how all of this struck Peter, Jesus having just recently declared to him that he would become a fisher of men. Now seeing the crowds of society's unclean running to Jesus and Jesus not only receiving them in their poverty of spirit, but reaching out to them with his healing touch forcing Peter to, to reckon with his notions of society's untouchables, those he perceived to be beyond the reach of God's grace, inviting us to do the very same thing this morning, to look into our own hearts and to ask ourselves who it is that we perceive to be too far gone, not worthy of our casting the net of the gospel. Jesus gives Peter a glimpse of, of what it means to be a fisher of men as he receives the outcasts of society and restores them by his grace. And then there's the story of the paralytic, the story of a group of men so committed to bringing their friend to the feet of Jesus that they were willing to tear a hole in a roof to make it happen. Presenting us with the question, 
Are we willing to do whatever it takes to bring people into contact with the healing touch and forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus? To tear open a few roofs, so to speak. In the words of one commentator in bringing both of these stories together evangelistically, he says, your hands are the hands God uses to reach out and touch people no one else is willing to touch. And your arms are the arms he uses to carry people to Christ. A Christ who heals, Christ who forgives. Having experienced something of his healing and forgiveness ourselves, now given the honor and privilege to bring others to his feet. I think it's only appropriate that that we begin with the first of those two outworkings of this passage, which is to spend some time with the Lord ourselves. One, to, to cry out in gratitude and thanksgiving for his rescuing us into the household of faith, for him bringing us into the heavenly places by his shed blood. That's a great thing to consider as we as we take of the Lord's Supper this morning. If you're a Christian, that meal is for you. We take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus and we dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. I invite you to consider that Hebrews imagery that Jesus was led outside the camp so you could be led inside the holy places. And that we might sing our song in these moments to come together to Jesus, our healer, to Jesus, our cleanser, to Jesus, our forgiver, And that again, that that yes, we would go back to, to the first time we tasted that, like the leper, like the paralytic, but that we would cry out to God right now and to acknowledge, I'm I'm just as desperate as I was then for you, Lord. I haven't stopped being desperate for your cleansing, healing touch. I haven't stopped being desperate to, to have a feeling sense of the forgiveness that's mine in you, Jesus. Pray that we, we get a heavy dose of that in the next 10, 15 minutes or so and that it just bolsters us as we leave this place and that we're ready to tear through a few roofs, cast wide the net of the gospel because Jesus is worthy.